now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Nancy Trivellato, a founding member of the International Academy of Consciousness and the Institute of Applied Consciousness Technologies, who has conducted studies on out-of-body experiences and lectured around the world. Her current research is on children's non-ordinary experiences. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. It's going to be a pleasure to be here with your audience. Thank you. All right. Well, let's start with what was the experience that you had that made you become a researcher in the first place? One experience that I had, it was around my seven, eight years old. However, I must say that I notice now that I use before to sense sometimes like non-physical presences like spirits, and I would have out-of-body experience. But my out-of-body experience, they were interesting because I would be inside my bedroom most of the times. I wouldn't go out for whatever reason. Maybe I thought I should not go out by myself, but I would look at my body lying in bed and I would be very puzzled because I would be thinking, well, I am sleeping, so I should be dreaming. I should not be awake because that was not a dream at all. It was completely lucid as much as being awake. I could recognize that, but, you know, I never mentioned to anybody. But once I had a relative, an uncle of mine, who went to do a surgery in Sao Paulo City. But the story here is that I am from a very small city in Brazil. I am from Brazil. And uh, that's most city. Uh, we didn't have, for example, a movie theater. We didn't have a library. We didn't have universities. I've never been to a hospital. Actually, we didn't have a proper hospital, just a small, perhaps, place where people would go when they had an emergency. So that was something. The Sao Paulo city for me was like a dream. I never saw anything like that. Anyone who is familiar with Sao Paulo, you know, it's a huge city, huge, 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 like Houston or more, New York. So for me, I had that out-of-body experience in which I ended up going there where my uncle was in recovery process just after his surgery. I've never seen any of that, the cars, the places, the huge building. And I entered exactly in the room where he was. And I saw him lying in bed, you know, breathing with the extra oxygen and receiving sorrows in his vein. But he had something that for me was what caught my attention the most, a type of a drain, like a plastic transparent tube connected to his abdomen. And I could see like under the sheet that was covering him and it would go to a glass jar on the floor and would sometimes just leak a drop of a reddish thing. So at that morning, when I woke up, I remember of that. But for me, that was a different experience and very vivid, but I couldn't make sense of that because I did not even knew he was ill at all. And he lived in the same small city that I lived. Anyways, when they came back from Sao Paulo, then I asked my aunt, what was that that I had seen and why have I seen that? And she was completely baffled. And scared, frankly, because her mind was, how could Nancy see that? 
And I grew up not paying too much attention to the experience, to be honest with you. They would happen to me sometimes. All my out-of-body experience were always pleasant, luckily. But sometimes I would be afraid of feeling like there was someone close to me that I couldn't see, sometimes waking up in the night. And that's why I study about children's experience. But the out-of-body experience were remarkable. Later on, I tried to study psychology. And I thought I would find in psychology something that would explain who we are beyond the physical body or how we can, in my words at the time, when I was quite young, like how we can grow inside and how we can become better people. So whenever we are beyond this life, it would be brighter. And I came to understand that that was not covered by psychology. And actually, you cannot even talk much about that. When I did my master's degree, I tried to touch a little bit in simpler things, and I couldn't. Fortunately, nowadays, it's a bit more open. But when I started looking for the information, I thought, you know, I had a bad experience back there. And that was not just a creation of my mind because that is the first thing that I would check if I were researching and examining someone. You could have imagined, but I never had access to a TV set even. We didn't have a television at home. We had a very simple, basic life. Many siblings, happy life, but, you know, very simple conditions. So then I thought, this phenomenon deserves being studied. And I started looking for information. I found some, but I found more um, affirmations <laughs> that were not explained with the whys than anything else. I am the type of person that I like to understand why. Sometimes it's even boring. I want to go and see, even if we don't have an answer, somebody tells me, we don't have an answer because the extent of our knowledge is so that is what I was looking for. I couldn't find. So I decided to join those who were researching the topic. There are a few um, here at the International Academy of Consciousness. We have a series of conferences that we call International Conference on Consciousness. And we bring people from all over the world, scientists. There are so many brilliant people, very serious, very ethical, with great principles, trying to understand about the existence beyond this physical life. Because there are too many evidences. But many people try to turn the blind eye. They, they just do not want to observe them. But I find it fascinating. And here I am. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Is there some catalyst that started your OBEs in the first place? Some event or something? Very interesting question, Jeff. I don't think so. I think it was more a predisposition, but this predisposition now that I have been studying so much about the out-of-body experience, but also teaching people how to do it, guide them. I know now that we have some sort of energy. Energy is a so vague word, right? But let's say what people call chakras, what people call subtle energy or vital energy. So this energy that has been studied in so many different areas, in people use different words, it doesn't matter. 
what matters is this sort of energy that makes people sensitive, like when someone can feel what another person is feeling or healing processes that some are real, some are not. So everything is we have to observe. But this energy that participates in the meditation with more transcendent experience, mystical experiences, all of this is the type of energy that connects this body to the astral body, the non-physical body. When people have these energies more loosened, it's a characteristic. They tend to be more sensitive, like going to a place and sensing something is different. Sometimes that individual would feel drained for no reason, just because the changes in the energy of the environment would change the quality of the energy of the person. Another characteristic that people like this would have is like almost being able to, it's not reading someone's mind, but having an intuition about situations and people and perceiving the non-physical reality, like the spirit world more. So I see now that this is a characteristic that some people has. Everybody can develop this. But I would say that some people has this naturally to a degree that makes it easier for them to sense this non-physical world, this reality that goes beyond the ordinary physical world we live in. For others, they sense less. But I would say everybody senses a bit, but sometimes it's not enough to go beyond the threshold of what is needed for the experience to be absolutely clear. So I think I had that because of the experiences I mentioned before that I would sense presences. So sometimes, and I used to be very shy. I am still very introvert, but I used to be very shy. It's almost like I was exposed and I did not know who was looking at me or not. So sometimes I would hear somebody talking to me. I promise you, I'm not schizophrenic. I hope so. <laughs> but if I am, my, you're going to tell me later. That, that, was, but, that, that was far from my mind. I wasn't <laughs> okay. thinking that at all. Have you ever considered being hypnotized to see if there is any event that has happened to you that you may not be aware of? And or what is your opinion on past life regression and things like that? So the first thing, have I ever considered being hypnotized? No, and I would not consider that because um, it, it's almost like letting someone take control of my mind and of myself. When we start becoming more lucid, more aware of all of these energy around of us, one thing that we learn is how to be conscious of everything, be able to handle the reality, but not allow it to influence you. So I wouldn't go for a hypnosis and I don't know if that would work. I don't see a need specifically to know if something triggered my out-of-body experience. They came very naturally since maybe, what, five years old? Since my memories start, I remember these nice experiences of me seeing my body lying down. So that I didn't mind about. But when we think about past life recall, uh, yes, I think past lives are affect for many different reasons. Uh, one of them is some personal experiences I had. They are not many, but they were very remarkable. But more than that, 
working with people like in private sessions, but 30 years teaching all over the world in person, because now we can be close via internet. This is great, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. But so many years, I've heard some things that people would tell me that that is too much to be just a fantasy. And there are some research I'd like to mention that are very serious research. Here in the International Academy of Consciousness, we have uh, Wagner Allegretti, who has been done some studies on past life recall. He authored a book, which is sold out right now. But also we have some researchers, very serious people from United States, that they have done studies on children who have had past life recall. And what's the beauty of studying children? Their minds are a little less contaminated by what's right or wrong and what would make you look good if you say or if you don't say. And um, including, I have one interview with one of these researchers, that is uh, Jim B. Tucker. But his predecessor, that is Ian Stevenson, it's worth studying their, you know, their research. And it's so amazing how it started. Can I tell it briefly? Sure. And then you cut if you think it doesn't add. But it is, he, he's a he was a psychiatrist. He's no longer here. But he was a psychiatrist. And he would see children that would sometimes tell stories in a hospital hospital, psychiatric hospital for children. And day after day, they would consistently tell the same stories and behave in a way that they were pretty normal. They were pretty down to earth. So he started considering that those amazing stories, pure fantasy from the point of view of somebody who was just watching that, could be so consistent. And he started observing and going to investigating some of these accounts. For example, I have my phone here. Just but I'll get from these accounts, Jeff. I'm sorry. I was sure it was not here. So from some of these accounts, and there was a girl who would remember a lifetime she had in India. She was American. She was American at that moment. And she remembered her lifetime in India. And she described what she was called, who were her she was a man, so who were her wife, how she had died at that life in every detail. And he went there and he finds everything, even the address. So that girl could not have gotten that from anywhere. So some of these cases, they are very strong advocators of the fact of the past life recall. But it, it seems also logical to me, otherwise... How could we explain some of the things in life that it's so hard to understand? Earlier, you mentioned about you were sensing some type of entities or something and children sense them. Do you think that you are sensing your soul group or perhaps your own guardian angels? I think a blend of perceiving just spirits or entities who are in the environment, like in the neighborhood, a blend of some of my guardian angels that I would call maybe a spirit guide or a non-physical mentor. This is what I would call them. Um, just so that I don't connect with religion because angels are little, little connected with religion. Mm -hmm. But also um, sometimes I would sense some of them that they would, how would I say, tease me? And now I can evaluate and study and I, 
in my research, I see that it was some sort of bullying. So why would an entity do a bullying with a child? Yeah, for the same reason people do bullying here, just to have fun with something that is not fun at all. And since I could sense them, and I would be very scared, indeed, so they would you know, have fun seeing me scared. It can seem a little strange saying this now, but I have done interviews, like in-depth interview with people from 14 countries to try and see their experiences as a child. But I have also examined children. Um, the youngest was 2.5, two and a half years old. Of course, the mother was with me translating, right? And I was trying to communicate in specific ways. But with all of the studies I have done, there are a few things that I have noticed. Number one, it's easier for children to sense this non-physical, subtle reality than for us adults. Why? We can speculate, and I have some theories. I don't think they are important here. But many times children tend to lose a bit of their abilities later on. What harms them the most is not the experience. What harms them the most is when they try to communicate and they are not understood. So there are cases, for example, that some of these students, they were very traumatized because they thought they were crazy because they were so, how would I say, their minds were so much in the right place that they could see something there was not in the same way everybody else experienced. And they, they don't, didn't have words to explain. We don't have words to explain some of our sentiments. How would a child explain something they are perceiving, which no one is seeing, and it's not there? That is very puzzling. I remember there were this, this short phase of my life that I would sense not good things, but it was strong for me. And I remember that short phase that I would come to my mother and say, um, I, I am afraid. But I couldn't say why. I couldn't say what she could do. I couldn't say anything. And it got to a point that I didn't want to go to bed. I was around maybe 11, 12 at the time. But I didn't want to go to bed because I knew at some point that perception could happen. So I would be, for example, in an out-of-body experience, re-enter my body and sense somebody was there. And I was really terrified. So in my study, Jeff, what I did is that I tried to create a scale, talking to everyone because I did not want to come to conclusions based only on my own experience. But I created in the scale, for example, of how much we can trust that what a child is perceiving is some sort of a perception of a non-physical reality, like a non-ordinary perception, or a fantasy. Because, of course, a child can just imagine there could be psychological problems, there could be psychiatric problems. So I'm not discarding those. I'm not saying every experience is because of perceiving this non-physical reality. But what I'm saying, some are. And we need to be able to help these children when it is the case. Because some, they are really, you know, bullied, exploited, terrified. And the beautiful thing is that for those that I've talked with, at this point in their lives, they were a little bit more okay with that. 
the adults won because they learned about it later on. But in the phase that they were experiencing it, it could be terrifying. But number one, not everyone is afraid. It's possible to have very beautiful experience and many children do. It was not my case because the area where I was living was not very good and there were some entities not so good there. The second thing I was saying before, parents can harm the children with the way they address it. Now it's just in your mind, it's just a dream. Better not to say, I do not know what that is, but let me let us look for it. Let's try to find a solution. Better to acknowledge. And uh, the scale of how you can know if what the children is experiencing or the child is experiencing is just a fantasy. So there are some points we can observe how often that happens, if that happens in different places or only in one place, if there is always someone who's close by. And then we go discarding reasons that could be just psychological and we can funnel down to this situation of sensing the non-physical reality. And when it is this, it's easy to teach the child how to deal with that. It's not say, it's not here. It's not say, okay, I will have a little object that will protect me. It's not that. It's in one's mind, because in the same way we can observe the non-physical reality, in the same way we can deal and get information, we can learn how to handle it. Like when we teach someone here how to go to, let's say, an interview for a job, you can also teach a child how to handle that situation appropriately. So that is um, something very beautiful that I think came from this study. And I also created a scale of fear because some child don't fear at all, some a little uh, until those that goes to the extreme. And I say for one year in my life, I was at the extreme. So, and that's why I wanted to study this. Understanding so much about this topic now, it, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't do some work to clarify and help parents help their kids. Can you give us some specific examples on how you teach children to handle those entities? Yes. Um, the number one thing is that when a child is perceiving a presence, and that is uncomfortable, what the child is actually perceiving is the sort of um, gravitational energy that comes from that presence, almost as if we could sense a person there. It's, it's the visual, but the visual makes it stronger. And the more a child or we adults would sense a non-physical presence, an entity, the more we pay attention to it, the more clear it becomes, the more, the greater is the rapport. So it's a matter of connecting energetically. So the, the one number one thing that I would teach a child, and I have already taught some, is do a little exercise with these energies so that those entities have less power I don't like this word, but it's the only one that's coming to me. Less possibility of infiltrating their energies on, on the child. As sometimes it can happen to us, we can feel down and negative for absolutely no reason. But in our minds, we know, oh, okay, oh, it might be something, or oh, just ate something not good. 
But for a child, they do not know how to handle it. So we can teach and children learn very fast. There is one method that I have created that I call VELO. It's V-E-L-O, Voluntary Energetic Longitudinal Oscillation. And I have a huge 500-page book about that method. I was passionate about explaining why and trying to establish some of the technical basis. So it became a little hard book, but good for those who want to go deep. But there I teach this method and we have been having people getting so well with less of this invasion of energy. So that is the technique I teach, which is very simple. I'm going to cite here briefly. It's just moving energies inside one's body from whole body, like flowing as if energy, our own energy could flow in through all cells, like from top of the head until sole of the feet and then back. So we start creating a wave. So the, the, let's say the procedure is simple, but depending on the sensitivity of the person, on also if there are any chakras that could be a little blocked or some hidden emotions or even some entities close by that could interfere, there can be some challenges. But this exercise, anyone can do. Um, I even have videos teaching it briefly, by all means, uh, do it because even if the person does a little, it makes a big difference. But when you teach children, they don't complicate in their minds. Oh, that's what I have to do. I do it. Bam. And many cases, even like some of my nephews who would be afraid, we would teach it. And then, bam, that's it. I, I do that. They would tell. I do that before I go to bed. Then I sleep perfectly. So, yes, it's possible. We, we do not need to teach about energy and moving energies with ideology. We don't need to teach, oh, there's life after life. For me, it's a fact. But we do not need to say this. We can just teach it as we teach someone to ride a bicycle or to write with a decent handwriting. And that's a procedure that we do with the energy bodies, not the physical bodies, the energy body. But it's a procedure that we, we can do perfectly, you know, just by following the method. It appears that that technique would be good for adults as well as children. It is superb for adults, superb. And actually, all of my research on this technique and how I developed it was based on adults. I worked for more than 15 years collecting data so that I could come out with the best way of doing this technique because this is very old. Since Buddha, there are techniques that is moving energies up and down, but the details and how to do it and how to progress. There was a research that had been done also by a researcher of the International Academy of Consciousness about Velo and uh, Ana Laura Trivelato. Same surname, but she's my sister. So <laughs> we, we work on the same area. She did a research on Velo. And you know what's beautiful, Jeff? She did a call on the internet, not telling people what they were going to do. She named it energy mindfulness as she branded it. And people would come to doing mindfulness, but she would teach them in a way that they would be moving their energy. And they did not know what to expect. Some of them were already familiar with the expression energy chakras. We would know by their description, but some didn't have a clue. 
even you would explain, they say, but did you, did you explain wrong? Because they did not know what she was referring to. But her results were amazing, much higher than we expected. I'm not going to describe details, but she used methods that are very well tested, like 50 plus uses in the literature and of references in the academy. But also what we learned is that adults started getting more peaceful inside. So she would get some reports that she did not ask for. She was measuring more quantitative stuff, but people start writing. So there were people that they would describe. I do not know what's different, but everybody tells me I am so calm. I am used to be so agitated and I feel so peaceful. Someone else telling, you know, my mother-in-law lives with me. She has Alzheimer. My life is a nightmare every day. All of a sudden, everything is the same. But it's like we can see each other, we can talk, we have something good around. People who are in pain and they improved. People have out-of-body experiences, not even knowing what an astral projection or out-of-body experience was because of doing the technique and, and so forth. And not going to go into details. But that was very important because the research I had done for the past, for, you know, more than 15 years before, were with people who knew the technique. I would teach them the technique. And they knew what they were trying to get. These people that they didn't expect anything, they didn't know what they were supposed to get, they had even better results. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes when we expect something, I think we push ourselves too much, whatever, and then we end up interfering. But that was beautiful. And so, yes, yes, by all means. And anybody who would be watching us, if they want to have, you know, more connection with the non-physical world, with the astral dimension, increase their level of lucidity, understand who is close by, to be more calm inside, to feel more vitalized. This technique is brilliant because what happens is that the way the technique operates is as if it works with all of the different chakras at the same time. So it produces some sort of balance, lucidity, but at the same time, the balance is so great that it is a self-defense. It's like a foreigner's energies don't reach us so much. That's what gives us time to think and look around. So that is very good technique, I think. That's what I use, actually. That's the only thing I use mostly. If someone wants to learn the technique, do they need to read your book? Or do you have a video no, on how to do it I on have, your YouTube have, channel? Yes, I do have a short video in which I describe the basics, which is enough for someone to start. And of course, in my book, they are going to have 300 times more, but the technique is well explained in a video I did to be direct to the point, because my purpose with this study is to let people know and get better. I think that is, that is why I do what I do. So it's there. While we're on the subject, what is your YouTube channel called? It's called Nancy Trivelato English, in parentheses, because... I used to have a channel with different languages and that's confusing to people. So Nancy Trivelato English. Okay. I'm going to change the subject. Not really, but I want to change a little bit. Yes. Where are you on consciousness? 
are you a dualist in the sense that your consciousness is separate from your body? I don't think you're a materialist that your body creates your consciousness. Or are you more along the lines of panpsychism, like your body is a manifestation of your consciousness in this realm? Um, the way I see consciousness is that we are consciousnesses inhabiting a body. Therefore, the consciousness is not a byproduct of the brain. On the contrary, the brain can function because the consciousness is behind. And the brain is almost like a translator of our experiences. And that's why these non-local experiences happen. There are amazing cases of people, for example, who had near-death experiences in which while they were outside the body, they could see things, even like in the hospital while they were under surgery, even what the doctors did. And there are so many cases of this. So what we see is that whatever is the conscious part of us, it's not in the brain. It's not connected to the brain and we can exist beyond. So what are the consequences of knowing that? I think this is very important. And I say knowing because for me, with all the experience and all of my studies, it's a fact. But each of the viewers who are there with us, they will see what extent their experiences go for them to say, yeah, it makes sense to me or not. But when, when we have these experiences and we know we exist beyond, and I say no, I'm not saying just read something and and then you you think it makes sense when inside of you it doesn't but when it does make sense we change the way we see life because being ethical becomes an important point and of course we can discuss ethics here for longer than the out of body experience right Jeff but we see that it matters who we are it matters what we do we are going to continue this is not the only thing. This is a continuation. We have some sort of multi-existential, of multiple existence, multiple lives, continuum. We explain that a lot in the consciousness development program when we teach out-of-body experience and everything. And this continuum implies that right now we are experiencing things based on what we know, who we are, and who we are was built throughout many experiences. But then who are we going to be later on? Some cases, like proven cases that were verified, I mean. So some verified cases of a past life recall shows that some people, not, not all, of course, but some people who have some experiences, past life experience, they can connect situations of their past lives with characteristics of their bodies here. It's not common, but it can happen. So we see all of that. And the studies about traumas, many people, they have huge traumas that are connected to previous life. So when they understand why, they can handle the trauma. It can, they can overcome it. I'm not saying all traumas. I'm not saying everyone who says, hey, I have a trauma from a past life. It is true. We have to examine. Unfortunately, Jeff, I have to say this because sometimes 
people make affirmations of things they don't know, they exaggerate. And then instead of contributing to the seriousness of this study and contributing to our understanding that life is more than the physical body, that we continue existing, that actually undermine the whole effort of those who are studying in a serious way. Can out-of-body experiences be taught? And if so, can they happen at will or will they be spontaneous? The majority of the out-of-body experiences, they happen spontaneously. But yes, it can be taught and it can be produced at will. There are many, many techniques and uh, it's easy even to find them. In my channel, I teach several. The most important thing, in my opinion, after studying and teaching this for 30 years, and what I see is that the most important thing is being able to produce them and interpret the experience we have had. Because sometimes there are people who have it spontaneously, in this case, not produced. But I remember the case of a friend that she told me, oh, one time I was out of my body, so lucid, so lucid, that I started telling myself, I'm dead, I'm dead. <laughs> so I would joke with her and say, look, if you were dead, you could not shout you were dead. You could say, I am, my body is dead, but not I am dead. Because if you scream, I am dead, that I was screaming is there. So we tend to mix too much the physical death with the actual death and people are afraid. So sometimes what I'm trying to say is that people have experiences. They don't know how to interpret. They don't know if it's a lucid dream, if it is an out-of-body experience, if it's a very vivid out-of-body experience, or if it was confused because they were not very lucid during the experience, or if it's just a dream People don't know how to distinguish. So I think it's very important that we learn our, we study, sorry, that we study our own experiences because then each of us, we can start distinguishing what is for us an actual astral projection, conscious astral projection, and what is just a dream and what is perhaps a lucid dream. They are not the same thing. Otherwise, the risk of... Um, running into fantasies or misinterpreting an experience is there and it's not worth it. So, but many people, hi Jeff, let me say that many people come talk to me and tell their experiences, even from their youth or people who never read anything about out of body experience. When they tell me what they felt, how it was and the type of experience, there are so many points in common and so much related with the research that already existed, the body of knowledge that existed, that for me, that's a happy moment when I hear a case like this, because it's not a person that had been convinced because had been reading many books before. Someone fresh and comes and tells me and I say, yes, that's it. That is the experience. We, we can tell. So I would say for people, go for the experience. No, no reason to be shy and analyze later with an open mind. Can you briefly tell us some of the common sensations that someone experiences when they're having a partial or full out-of-body experience? Yes. Um, we have a list here that we teach at the IAC of uh, 
70 sensations, but the most common ones that most people feel are, for example, from the top of my mind, feeling the sensation of floating. It's not only feeling, ah, I'm very relaxed. No, it's really feeling floating, feeling you are up in relation to your physical body. Sometimes feeling vibrations in different parts of the body or feeling currents, waves of electricity-like feeling passing through the body. Sometimes a person may feel like falling, like a falling sensation. It's a very strong one. Other times we can feel like a vibration in the whole body, which is the vibration state, is the main topic of my book. Um, differences in temperature. Other times there are noises. There can be, for example, somebody is just relaxed, going, falling asleep, but not yet sleeping. And then it's like a huge noise. Each person hears different. And it's not like you can say, oh, I'm confusing. No, you are still there. You are awake. You have not slept yet. And then that huge noise. People tend to be scared sometimes of some of these sensations, especially this one of the noise in the head, uh, inside the head, which is not possible, but anyway, it's how we feel. But also the vibrational state, the huge vibration when it's very strong, because it can be so powerful that a person who is not informed may think something is wrong. But the sensation is pleasant. So it's more like a rational conclusion something is wrong than feeling anything negative. Another thing someone may feel is sometimes sensing almost like waves passing by that are not very much in the body and therefore start feeling like oscillating as if the body would be moving. There are moments people can have flashes of clairvoyance, like briefly seeing a light or a face or something as if one there frontal chakra would be more activated or sense specific sensation. So there, it can vary a lot, but I'd say those are the most common if I didn't skip any of them. Ah, there is another one that I must say. It's the sleep paralysis. What was that? Sleep paralysis. Um, sleep, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. paralysis, yes. Mm. Because it's like the person is completely lucid, but with the body relaxed. And then the person notices that they cannot control the physical body. And that can be scary for someone who is experiencing that for the first time. So they think, oh, I cannot move. I want to get up. But that is, this is very common experience. And when I have it now, I enjoy it. I can play with it. And I know what is before, what's after. And I, if I want to just get up faster, I know what to do. It's to move small parts of the body. But some people, they get stuck there for five seconds. But five seconds is an eternity if you are there. So I remember having had that when I was around my 20s, maybe 21. And that was like, oh, what is this? It was not pleasant because I didn't know. So amazingly enough, I have been having out-of-body experience until then. And never had that sensation before. But this is very common. I wanted to add because many people are very afraid. And um, a tip for those who experience the sleep paralysis. May I, Jeff? Um, if, the ex the, if the experience of the sleep paralysis is, feels negative, feels like someone is there and it's really negative, the person 
can work with the energy to prevent that. The problem there is not this lip paralysis. Lip paralysis is it's a regular situation. It's like I'm tasting a food which I may love or I may hate. But if you hate it, the problem is not the food, it's because you dislike it or that doesn't agree with you. Same thing with this lip paralysis. The phenomenon is not the problem. Nobody can harm us at that moment. However, we may sense some presence that's not good because we are actually halfway in, halfway out. Don't be afraid. Stay calm. Take a deep breath. Take advantage to learn. Go to an adventure outside the body and then you return and you describe. Or just take a deeper breath calmly and you return. I... I wanted to add this because many people are afraid with this experience. If someone's laying down, they have their eyes closed, they're not sleeping, but they're kind of sleepy, and they start feeling themselves floating or feeling some of the other things that you describe, but they're not seeing anything. They just kind of have their eyes closed and it's dark or whatever they're seeing through their eyelids. Are they starting to have an OBE at that point or do you have to visually see something? No, no, what you are describing is it's very common predecessor experience of the out-of-body experience, very common. And often we don't see much when we are detaching. When we are very close to our bodies, it's also not common or not easy to see for specific reasons, density of the energy. I'm not going to go into that. But you can have an experience that goes and you are feeling and sensing and you know what's going on without having the vision of it. The vision comes when we have certain subtlety in the energies that are there connected with our astronomical body, but also depending on our lucidity. So we can see lots more than we would see in the physical body because we are picking more details or less. So vision outside the body is totally different than vision here. And what you described to me sounds like a perfect beginning of an out-of-body experience. And what I would like to say is that many out-of-body experiences start before the person falls asleep. We can be totally conscious, detached from the body, continue conscious, do things, observe, even make experiments, and decide we are going to return and return and re-enter consciously, open their eyes. So we never slept, only the body did. And that's a wonderful type of experience. Not very common, but many people have it. I'm sure many of those who are watching us will say, yes, I had experiences like that. Is there a point where you have your eyes closed, you're feeling yourself floating can you force yourself to see, like to be able to say, okay, I want to look down and see my body laying in the bed? Yes, and if so, you can. how do you do that? You, you can do it, well, by willing and focusing, because the focus of our mind is key there. The, when I talk about lucidity during the out-of-body experience, what we want to do is to be very connected with the, the reality, not allowing ourselves to get emotional or fantasizing or assuming anything. It's just what's going on and what I'm doing. Because we are participating in an objective reality, although it's not a physical reality, but it's objective. If you and I, Jeff, we are projected in the same environment and we see each other, we will come back and remember the same event. So it's objective, but not physical. So there comes the point. So 
the best thing is to focus and aim at looking at the body. But now I'm going to say something that is a little more complex, but for those who study the out-of-body experience, for some reason, sometimes we look, we see the bed, but we don't see the body. No bad feeling there. If for those of you who want to take a look in my channel, you look for continuous conscious astral projection. And then I describe how I was lucid from going out, everything and returning. And I look at the bed and I didn't see my body, but I was, I, for, not, not even for a moment, I thought, my body's not there. No, I was super, super, oh, how interesting. What phenomenon is that? And in that experience, I just, you know, when you are diving in a swimming pool, I love swimming. So I dive into my body and woke up. And so it was lovely experience. I was looking at your YouTube channel and I noticed something on one of your videos about shadow people. Can you tell us what you know about them? The expression shadow people is something that had been used a lot lately just to replace other words that existed before, dark figures, you know, dark entities. And what I can say is that when we think about people who are in between lives, so people who passed away didn't born again yet. And the processes and the number of things that can happen are huge. I have an interesting video in which I talk what the spirit world is made of for people to start understanding the complexity of that. Because when we talk about life after life, we are not talking about one single thing. It's like telling a person, you are going to be born in a very poor area in Africa, or you are going to be born a woman in a very radical area, or you are going to be born in, a, I don't know, Japan or United States, and different body shape that alters a lot our experience here. But still, we know what. We are in the physical body. If we walk, we go from one place to another. If we look around, we are going to see around as long as we are not blind. So we know what we can count on in the physical dimension. And by the way, we know when the sun is coming up and when the sun is coming down, even if we don't see it. But when we talk about life between lives, it is different because there are so many different layers and possibilities of existence, places, communities. And everyone will be in a place according to their most deep values, according to what they know, not what they knew in this lifetime or in the last one, what they know in terms of their consciousness, their so, I do not know what expression to use here, but the core of who they are. Therefore, um, Jeff, there are sometimes people in between lives, consciousness, as I say, or spirits, that they are quite confused. They do not know exactly, they passed away, they are living there as if they were in the physical world, but it's not. So something is wrong. Um, therefore, their state of confusion sometimes create on themselves energy is very stagnant so they are not shadow in a sense of dark but shadow in a sense that is not how would i say flowing flexible healthy energy the energies are really you know dense sometimes even a bit contaminated and their presence can make an individual 
a little depressed, down, can, yes. And are they everywhere? No, but it could be in specific places. Could there be one in, no, in our house? I don't know, no, but it's possible. Because sometimes whoever lived there before, or if it is around and we don't know. But the point here, I think, is to remove the uh, atmosphere of myths and fear around that. These are people. Like you can talk to someone who is full of problems at work. So those of you who are now watching this, have you ever seen somebody who's so full of problems at work? or at home, that they just don't look like themselves. They are, you know, a lot of anger, and you feel really a heavy thing around them. It's the same. So it's people. So we are talking about something that is natural, no reason to be afraid. But in the same way, we need to know how to handle a colleague who is raged. We need to know how to handle a non-physical consciousness, an entity who is confused. Or bullying, as I said before, in the beginning of our talk. So it's something like that. I also noticed on your YouTube channel that you have retreats. What's up with that? We um, offer a retreat or retreats at the um, campus that we have at the International Academy of Consciousness. I am right now in Portugal, where I stay for a large period of time. So it's more like Portugal and United States, because here in this research center we have, it's a huge area. It's very beautiful, actually. And it's in a protected area, but we have facilities that we have built especially for those who want to have experiences. Because the ideal here with all of this that we are talking about is that nobody just believe in it, um, is that someone could ponder about it, observe their own experience, see to what extent it makes sense to them. And we provide here an environment for this. So when we do our big conferences, 300 people from all over the world, we do here. We have a wonderful auditorium, professional. But we also have these facilities for meditation, out-of-body experience, for the velo technique and all of that. Because we need sometimes to find the right energy in the environment, the right peace of mind, so that we can experience some things. Details matter. And because we are in a protected area, Pretty much here, what we have is like cork trees and uh, sheep, <laughs> sometimes a, a guy with a dog guiding the sheep. And that, that is what we have. So it's very beautiful, very peaceful. And the buildings we have are huge, very well built. We have one building that's special, I think. I would say the most sophisticated. That is like the cerebral for X-Men. Have you seen it, Jeff? The uh, holy sphere? Mm, no? I don't so, think so. So holy sphere that Dr. Xavier goes and he sits in the middle to expand his mind. We have that. But ours was built first. Mm. <laughs> but the idea there is for the person to lie down and have the head in the center of the sphere so that it's easier to detach from the body, not thinking of the walls and the sort of energy that gets there and the way the energy flow is different. So it's a place to experience. So sometimes we do these retreats, we bring groups in which we teach about 
all of these ideas and techniques to leave the body as a way of confirmation that it's nice for the person to have. We use these facilities. So that's what we do. Um, we, we also offer the trainings online. I don't know if I can say that, but you take out if I can't. But it's because when we do the retreats, we take advantage of doing more practical exercise. And we are here right beside the person to hear the experience and to share. And when we do that online, it's wonderful, but it's not the same as having the place. But online, we have a very, very successful program. Actually, the program received a award, international award for life transformation. So we call it consciousness development program because that's what it is. But the teachings and the tools and the techniques are aimed at liberating. So it's like a school. If you go to university, nobody wants you to be tied to the university for the rest of your life. They want to give you ideas and you go further on doing as much as you can with the ideas and knowledge. So that's what we do. All right. Well, what is your website so we can find out more about this? My personal website is nancytrivelato.com. And someone would find about the Consciousness Development Program at the iacworld.org. So that is where we have all of our information. All right. Do you have anything else that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? Uh, No, I don't think so. I think the study on children is there where I'm still working on. It's precious. And developing some of specific courses and events here at our campus. So that's more or less this. What I would like to say to everyone is trust yourself Because sometimes when we talk about this spiritual reality, we feel so powerless as if we have to ask someone else for answers. We need someone else to tell us what is it that exists out there. And of course, it's good to study and to know. That's why we have to build knowledge. But you cannot know for sure and build knowledge if you don't allow yourself to acknowledge the sort of experience that we have, you have and to which extent your sensitivity goes. Many people, they perceive things energetically speaking with their sixth sense, which is not six only, but with their psychic awareness, but they just disregard because they are expecting a different way, a different phenomena because they read somewhere else. So try to combine what you learn with what you experience, who you are, what you have already learned before and what's naturally skill for you. So then you can go further. So that is my last tip. Well, thank you for that, Nancy. And thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you. It was a pleasure getting to know you, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Likewise. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.